KG, and this is not safe for networks. So this episode is just me and Carl. We were going to have Brandon on uh, another day this week, and we are just going to cover everything with Comic-Con. But what wound up happening was Brandon was out of town and couldn't make it back. So we will cover everything that we missed with Comic-Con next week. I promise this time I will definitely deliver. But we do have a full episode with Carl, so don't worry. Hey, welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. I'm Carl. Let's start out talking about James Gunn, because... Oof, right off the top. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, might get as well it. get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a rough deal, man. Um, so essentially he got in trouble for putting a bunch of stuff on Twitter, like what, nine years ago? Nine or ten, somewhere around there. Yeah, and it was it was just like, it was off-color jokes about like... Pedophilia. Yeah. And it's one of those things, um, okay, so do you want to set up how this happened exactly? I mean, I feel like you had a better handle on it than I did, but it it was like a conservative pundit, right? Yeah, there there was, there's this, uh, alt-right Twitter douchebag named Mike Cernovich, and James Gunn had been critical sizing Donald Trump as one does these yeah. days and uh, Mike Cernovich took particular issue with it and then somebody tipped him off that there were these old tweets from years and years ago and he went and looked for him and sure enough they had never been deleted so he basically just brought him to Fox News and was like hey let's uh, let's take this guy down a peg or two because I'm sick of him talking all this crap about the president. And that led to the same day, the same day, Disney let him go. Like, they didn't even take a beat. Yeah. And uh, James Gunn issued an apology, and he didn't, you know, dispute the firing. He, you know, said, you know, I hoped that I had, you know, I thought I had learned from this, but, you know, I guess I still have more to learn, basically. And he accepted his, you know, the the severance or whatever. But, man, it it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's I've thought about this a lot and had a lot of conversations with different people about this since... Actually, I I think this happened, like, the day after the (laughs) podcast went last week, but... um, I've had a lot of conversations about this, and I guess, like, part of it for me is, like, I wasn't surprised that James Gunn had tweeted out some of this stuff because this was a dude who was working with Trauma Team Films and just making stuff that was offensive for the sake of being offensive. 
And just watching his career over the years and watching how he changed and became a better director, but also wasn't about just getting like the, um, the grotesque laugh anymore. And what, whatever you want to say about like where those jokes were from, it does seem like he genuinely is not the same guy that he was then. Um, and it's like nobody, I guess the point for me is like, nobody got hurt by any of this it was it was just words but it wasn't like dangerous words i don't think it's anything that would set anybody off and he should have deleted the tweets as soon as he got the job from disney that's been a point that i made and i don't like i don't want to to make this out like like uh i'm coming down on james gunn or anything because that's not where i'm coming from but if i gotten a job with disney the first thing i do is just wipe all social media that I had because there's going to be something and people are always digging for it with Disney. And it's surprising to me that it just came out now and not, you know, maybe when he got the job for guardians of the galaxy or after right. it became a hit, especially well, yeah. after it became a hit. I mean, because this was basically a smear job done by fucking people that just don't want us to have nice things, I guess, you know, the sad part is that that dude, that had the, that that basically got this guy fired. He probably watched the Guardians movies and thought these are pretty fun. Yeah, you know, he probably has has gotten some measure of entertainment out of this guy, and he's still willing to like just you know ruin a good thing. He's not ruining the guy's career. You know, James Gunn is going to pick his himself up and move on, and he's been making movies on other uh, in on smaller projects that are really just good. Uh, what was that? He did that horror movie in the office uh, building. Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, it came out in between Guardians movies and uh, the Belko Experiment, I think it's called. It's pretty good. It's got some fun actors in it. And it was like, uh, you know, it, it basically Battle Royale in an office building. You know, everybody's everybody's in the building and then all of the, the whole thing seals up and a voice over the PA is just like, uh, there's 65 of you in this building and you have 10 minutes to kill 10 of you. And if you don't, then 20 of you will die. And it just sort of slowly weeds them down until there's like one guy left. And it even has a fun twist at the end where it expands out and shows you that this is not an isolated incident, but it's been happening all over the world. And, uh, there's like individual people coming out of office buildings all over the, all over South America, North America. And they're like saying, all right, phase two is about to begin. <laughs> and that's where it ends. So it kind of gives you that leaves you wanting more and yeah. uh, hinting at a larger world. Uh, it was great, you know? And if he was just making movies, the thing that's the other thing that irritates the hell out of me is that he was just, if he was just making movies like this, and not working for Disney, this never would have happened. Yeah. Like, this is the first time I really have felt the sting of Disney's, like, grip on the things I love. Yeah. You know, uh, usually the things that I love are fairly immune to this sort of thing because they're uh, individually produced or low budget or what have you, you know, Marvel notwithstanding. Right. But... uh this is like one of the first time. I mean, if 
Disney didn't own Marvel, I don't think Marvel would have fired him for this. Yeah, um, but I don't know that this movie get would have gotten made if Disney. Didn't that's have also it true. Either. That's also like true. it's it's kind of. But <clears throat> I guess what I keep coming back to is that James Gunn seems like to me. I I mean I follow him on Facebook. I'm gonna continue to follow him on Facebook. Like I enjoy what he says. Um, now. Like, I didn't follow him on Twitter nine years ago, you know? But um, he uh, he's very engaging with the fans, and he's, like... I don't know if he's an activist, but he's definitely very vocal. Like, been a avid supporter of the Me Too movement and all all these things. Yep. Um, and I guess what bothers me is that, like, the lesson learned is that, like, your past can haunt you no matter what. It's like yep. you can't become a better person nope. and not get drugged down by it. And I guess, like, he made his own bed. I will say that. But at the same time, it's like, like, I've said horribly sexist shit, like, on this show. Like, when we first started and, like, through having dialogue with people and listening, you know, some of it on this very show, like rethought how i addressed a lot of things and like i think anybody who's been listening to the show a long time can attest to that and like i have changed a great deal since we started this show and it bothers me that somebody could upload earlier episodes and be like well that's the guy and i i realize that like that's the bet i made but at the same time it's like but are you listening to the guy who's talking now because i'm a human being and i change okay so here's the thing though and this was something that occurred to me a couple hours ago and so i haven't said it out loud to anybody what if this story was a disney movie like the whole thing was a disney movie. what if this like the beginning of the movie is about you know a digitally animated james gunn making movies that people love right and then oh he loses his job because and winds up down on his luck because of an incident from his past come back to haunt him how would disney resolve this would disney punish him and say oh you are ostracized and you have to go away and never come back and you are forbidden from disney world and oh disney in the land. first act or, or <laughs> the second act who would, would the something. moral the in third the third act end, would be a redemptive yeah, thing would yeah it would be a story of redemption where it's like, oh, then we realized that he found, he did find, you know, it's, you can become a better person and he would be welcomed back in because like the, I feel like the Disney message is one of like forgiveness and acceptance and inclusion and not solving problems by just trying to make them go away. And so that's to me like the the crux of the big the disconnect between the morals and values that the stories Disney tells are trying to espouse and then the way Disney actually conducts its own business because in this story Disney if this was a Disney movie Disney would be the villain of this story yeah i think James Gunn would be well, the... I think the conservative would be the main villain. But then Disney would be, like, the the one who's like, I don't know, and, like, very doubting. And they would be the ones that would have to come, come around. around. Yes. Yeah. They would come around. And so my hope is that 
in true Disney fashion, Disney will come to their senses and 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 at least ask him, be like, hey, maybe we were a bit rash, you know. Can you at least can we like, maybe he's at least still, you know, the script, you know, is his, you know, hit. Can he still he just poured his soul into writing the script and he proudly like presented it to Kevin Feige, you know, and was like, here it is. You know, I fucking killed myself for this script. And he was like talking about it on Facebook and Twitter <clears throat> and shit. And I was like, you know, me and thousands of people were saying like, I can't fucking wait for this, dude. Like the culmination of this story, you know, this, this arc that you've brought us all on with so many great characters. Like every, I want to know what's going to happen to every one of those damn characters. Yeah. And Guardians. you know, what's kind of unfortunate too. And this is not even, this is stepping away from that, but just talking about the storytelling of, of the guardians of the galaxy. But I really enjoyed infinity war. I thought it was a, a pretty fun move. Well, not fun. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like torturous it's but it's like it's a really good movie but i felt like the guardians weren't handled great uh like i felt like like peter was a little flat like rocket was, was they were all comic, a little like, flat i thought they were i thought like, gamora did exactly what she should have to do and they had a good handle on yeah. her but because she's like such an integral part of that story they really spent the time to figure out but i think everybody else was a little bit flat and, uh, I mean, Drax was good, but he was so limited, right? I thought Drax was actually a little, like, too ridiculous. But he was in, in part two as well. I mean, they're just yeah, doing the natural I, progression, I, I know, right? which I don't like that direction because it's making Drax more one-dimensional than anything else. Yeah, but he is so funny. It's really hard to not put those lines in his mouth when he's so good at delivering them. I mean, the the, the number one... <laughs> it's natural ability, The number too, one meme that came out dude, after Infinity Wars was, like, the thing with, like... Like, here's to the, here's to the Avengers that didn't show up in Infinity War... And or that we didn't see in Infinity War, and, and it would be like Hawkeye and Ant Man, and then Drax. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's invisible. It's a great joke. Uh, it's, it's hard to not give that guy that joke, but I I see what you're saying. I do. I also really appreciate that, like when he first read the script to himself, like by himself, he got a copy of the script for Guardians Two, and he was like, went to James Gunn, and he was like, I'm kind of concerned because I don't know what where you're what you're doing with my character i don't get i don't get this and then james gunn was just like just wait we'll do a table read and then drax is doing it you know or batiste dave batista is they're doing all doing the table read and he's reading his lines and he's just cracking up the entire table just making the entire room fall apart and he has no idea why Right. Because he couldn't figure out, like, uh, he just, like, wasn't getting it. He doesn't understand where the humor of the character is coming from. And so it was, like, it wasn't until he actually, like, read it out loud with the group that it, like, clicked for him, you know? And now he's, like, leans into it super hard, you know? And so now he's, like, really getting good at the comedy timing and stuff of it all because... Yeah, it's a kind of a unique way of doing humor. I like it. It's like very sci-fi humor, like the yeah. hyper literalism, and you know, like <laughs> that's such a great uh, alien race quirk to give. You know, it's certainly not Does original. It understand metaphor. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly not an. I I can't think of where it's been before. Maybe uh, 
to us. There's always there's something that's a, a very common alien trope that Aaron Donaldson talks about quite a bit on the Alien Movie Project, which is that with aliens, a lot of the time there's something that's not quite right. There's always something off. And so that's like often it's when they're impersonating a person, right? Like you can yeah. kind of pick up on something because it's kind of hello, off. human friend. Would you like to go eat some earth food with me? Right. So this is like a play off of that in a way. It's like giving this weird quirk where it's not quite right, but it's hilarious because it's not quite right. Well, I think that the aliens in uh, what's that Galaxy Quest. I think the aliens in that didn't understand like metaphor either. Like it's an easy, it's kind of, it's a trope. Yeah. The, the literate, like taking things, everything literally hyper literalism has, is definitely a sci-fi trope. There's, I bet you there was a race of aliens and Dr. Who. I think it made it funnier with Drax, like just calling it out immediately where he's like, he doesn't understand what you're saying. They don't, they can't grasp metaphors. Well, and don't forget that, the guy, the guardians are some of the oldest Marvel characters. Yeah. So, They're you know, per, yeah. they go back to the sixties. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, back then, but not any of these ones as guardians, they were all villains. Right. This is something like a lot of people don't understand, but like this group that's together is like the most recent cosmic guard, Marvel or, or is were the so most recent. Yeah, but they were all, like, legit villains. Like, I was showing the kids, um, I have this big Marvel, uh, it's like the Illustrated History of Marvel or something, something like that, I don't remember. It's Encyclopedia just, kind of? Not exactly, it, go, it goes year by year, and just, like, gives the super in-depth <laughs> breakdown of what was happening every single year, and it's like a big book, and it's got huge pictures in it, mm. but you can look up characters, and then, like look them up and so i was talking about how they were all different villains like straight up villains and i was like they're not as cute as they are in the movie and so i like brought up groot and like groot is like fucking monstrous when you see him he's just like this like he's like the kind of like the tree and uh uh what's what's that horror movie with like they're back and like poltergeist yeah poltergeist remember the tree and poltergeist the like only the, monster like tree a, I can think of is the tree in Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. We're not going there. <laughs> not quite that That's, evil. Yeah, how is <laughs> Sam Raimi getting jobs? <laughs> not quite that evil, but it's like the tree in Poltergeist, if you've seen the original Poltergeist. But, um, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with that, but... Uh, the the guardians like as a as a group in general like as the avengers you know who always change are the guardians like they're fucking old and uh the ravager or was it the ravagers who was the group with like sylvester stallone and like they're ravagers yeah the Ra- okay uh, that group was like the original guardians right, that they showed right. where they're like let's mm. get back together and yeah and I think Yondu was one was part of yes. their yeah Yondu he was, was an, an original, original guardian yeah. and I was Galaxy. showing him a picture of Yondu and you know um, I had a Facebook memory today that just said Kurt Russell is a planet and it was <laughs> <laughs> when I first found out that he was playing Ego and I was really excited and it's the closest I've come to what they call vague booking. But I think it's an acceptable form of vague booking because it is not about my personal life. <laughs> right. And 
and it's not like I'm all your comic book friends no are going to know exactly what you're talking about when Hopefully, you write that. Yeah. If I love Omar. Then I get to be like, ha, ah, you didn't know. That's something you always clarify in the comments, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you wind up in a big discussion about it. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> that was exciting news when I found out that Ego, the living planet, was going to be a, in a fucking Marvel movie. That was exciting moment. Yeah, I was just dude. like, how are they doing So this? good. And, you know, you knew that you weren't going to see, like... Uh, a planet with a face. Like, we, you knew you were going to see it, like, maybe momentarily. Uh-huh. But it wasn't going to be, like, talking or anything, mm-hmm. you know? But still, dude, just... I mean, because I... The, it does do that in the comics. Like, yeah. Galactus will encounter Eco and they'll have a conversation. And it's like... That's what I want to see more than anything on in a Marvel movie. is crazy, that kind of stuff. And that... And of all the people that have made a Marvel movie, guess who, circling it back around, guess who would have been the one to do that? Yeah. Fucking James Gunn. I wonder if Sean Gunn's going to be involved going forward. Because that, that's got to cut pretty close. Those are the him. only two people that I've seen uh, comment publicly that I've, I have I haven't gone looking, but um, Dave Batista and James Gunn, or, and Sean Gunn were the ones that posted something that I saw. And, and Dave Batista was saying, I am not happy about like I would be shocked if Dave Batista reprised his role as Drax. I he think. might have to, though. He may be yeah. obligated. It's true, but you know, he's just not going to be giving it as much. You know, they're all going to be. You're. It's gonna. We're gonna see it in the movie. It's not going to be. And and just to, just to reprise on this, um, if he had like, we're the ultimate losers if, in this. <laughs> like this isn't like the Roseanne Barr tweet where she was spouting off. She's racist like that things. now. She's still that person yeah. now today. Yeah, he has yeah, grown. There's like a, there's a there's a there's a difference. There's a real difference. There has to be a difference, right? Or what is even the point of trying to grow and and be, become a better person? What is the point of even trying? Why not? Why don't we all just become Donald Trumps? You yeah. know, and just blame and just blame everybody else for our own bad behavior and not ever take <laughs> accountability. Thanks, dogs, for protecting us from the, the people that are not actually a threat in any way. So moving on, uh, Dan, <laughs> Dan Harmon uh, apologized for he was trying to get out ahead of this because I think everybody's looking at this like, wow, they're just going to dig up <laughs> old things now. So. Dan Harmon issued an apology for a short film that he made in 2009 where he sexually assaulted a baby doll in a parody of Dexter. It was for some pilot that he was trying to, to get off the ground. And so he just got out ahead of it and, like, apologized because he, <laughs> he figured somebody was going to, like, dig it up. So Adult Swim, like, came out with a statement that was like, Dan Harmon apologized, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't reflect the values of Adult Swim, blah, right. blah, blah. Like, but, I mean smart yeah smart getting out ahead he's of it. done that twice now he's managed to like get out ahead of something like that and say all the right things and um you know this is a guy though that is very very open about his demons and it and publicly uh 
fights his demons, you know, and discusses his ongoing therapy and stuff. And it's impossible to like, it's impossible to, to say you're not trying to, you're not working on yourself. Basically. It's impossible to say that about him, right? That he's not working on himself because he's, <laughs> he never shuts the fuck up about it. Yeah. I feel that way a little bit about Mark Marin as well. Yes. Like we were having a discussion about Mark. Yes. Marin. Um, that's a dude that like was way rough around the edges and still is like it still is but like not nearly as bad but is clearly like working on himself constantly and constantly talking about working on himself and when he has an epiphany about something fucked up that he's done or said like he addresses it on the air and like gives apologies to people who he like does interviews with like it's a lot of like really, really like difficult to listen conversation sometimes, but you know, like these are guys who like are, are constantly working on themselves publicly. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't say they're not trying. And I guess that's like, ah, it's just, I don't, I don't want to see like the me too movement. Absolutely needs to continue like we need to to ferret out people who are making other people's lives hell but we also Um, need to um take a more measured approach to condemning people that have been accused i think um and that is a good segue into the next bit of news which is that chris hardwick exactly what i have written down (laughs) yeah chris hardwick who had uh previously been removed from a bunch of jobs after his ex-girlfriend Chloe Dykstra came out with a blog post about um, that never even actually named him by name, but was clearly inferred that it was it him. Was, it was absolutely yeah. About there was him. no doubt that it was about him, um, and sort of also inferring that there was a, like that the relationship had allegations of sexual abuse and things of that nature and he got removed from his job at it talking was, i read Dead. the blog post it was definitely like talking about some sexual abuse physical abuse and like emotional control abuse, issues sure. yeah and, and blackballing her from work yeah and then it as it turns out amc you know as they when they removed him they conducted an internal <laughs> investigation <laughs> Actually, I was listening to um, some comedians discussing this the other day on YouTube. It was uh, Tom Segura and his wife and uh, Christina something. She has her a different last name. but um, And then Ari Shafir was a comedian that was on there, and they were all discussing it. And, uh, and Christina kept talking about how, like, this is not even this wasn't even like a news article it was like a blog post it wasn't vetted or in any way fact checked there was no um and there was no they just they just posted it you know like it's not the kind of thing if this had been it's kind of it fell apart under investigative muster it found like a lot of things that she said were found to have been factually incorrect or exaggerated and uh you know like she implied that she ended the relationship, but you know he ended it, and I mean that was that's just factually true, you know. Like, well, she, that's that's a he said, she said thing. I though. mean, well, it, there's witnesses, and there's she's admitted that she 
said stuff that was like she changed details here and there and and bent the truth. You know, she it was an emotional uh, thing, and you can't really like the only thing you can't dispute is what how she says she felt, right? But um, just because we feel that a situation is a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that that those things are happening. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not, like, denying that she felt the way that she felt, but I think that maybe, you know, she was misinterpreting things herself, even to a certain extent. Well, where I fall on this, um, I don't know about the blackballing stuff, which I assume is what AMC was looking into, because they gave no details about what they uncovered or what was true or untrue. But and how could they know about their personal life? You mm-hmm. know, they they really can't. Like, there's only two people that really know. But, um, I the way I fell on it was like I've been listening to this guy for years and years, and like he says things that make me uncomfortable sometimes, and goes places that aren't comfortable, and would talk about that relationship and did things that were uncomfortable. And I talked about it. Like he kind of drug her onto the podcast one time to like talk about them having a miscarriage and like which was talked about in that blog post but not not like the podcast but i remember hearing that and being like that's really fucked up and like i didn't listen to him for a little while because it kind of disturbed me because she clearly didn't want to talk about it and he kind of like coaxed her into it like on the mic right, which is but all that is is being a bad boyfriend but it's that's yes. not assault or in no any no way, it's, it's not of that nature it's just then, we're and like you said we're human beings sometimes mm-hmm. we process things in uncomfortable difficult awkward yes uh, but but cringy going, ways you know going a little further with that like he would talk about how he would be so exhausted from work and come home and just be an asshole all the time and it was like Years of hearing him talking about that stuff and then, like, reading the blog post, it rang pretty true to me. And I'm not sure of all those details. And it's kind of a shame that it didn't start with the journalist that could vet things because this is a very public forum. But I believe that there's a lot more true about Chris Hardwick that is more what, like, the blackballing stuff, I, I guess, didn't even enter in the equation. Well, I would for definitely me. agree with you, but I would just frame it in a way of like he's just a much more rounded well-rounded like full human being than we kind of realize he has this dark side to him that uh that man some poor people have been at the unfortunate end of you know it sucks we've and you know that's the thing is like i can look back at my life and there are people that i've treated horribly you know specific you know certain people you know, where it just kind of goes beyond as far as how I treat the average person versus how I've treated these specific people goes beyond the pale. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not okay. And, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life and something that they're going to have to live with too. You know, whether you move on or not, it's still a part of you. You know? Yeah. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, um, my condemnation of, of Chris Hardwick goes beyond what AMC is investigating, and I'm not ready to, like, 
say that a lot of the shit she said didn't happen. Oh yeah, I'll give um, you that. I I tend to believe her because it's once again like when I read it, it was something where I've listened to hundreds of hours of this guy and like like heard quite a few things that like kind of gave warning bells in my head that I didn't put together until I read that so it like it it made sense to me and I could be completely wrong like well, I'm I'm being honest with this there's also but. a certain argument that I hear from a lot of his defenders and that argument and these are the people that know him right and they say I've known Chris Hardwick for 10 years and I've always known him to be this and he's always treated me this way and so I have no reason to believe that he could be anything other than the way he's treated me. And I've had people use that in my personal life. And it bothers me greatly because it makes me think like, so where is your empathy? Like, can you not look at a situation outside your own life and and feel and at least try to feel how that person was feeling in the situation? And so for this, it's like, Sure, maybe Chris Hardwick never treated you this way, but were you ever in a romantic relationship with Chris Hardwick right. for four years? You know, where you know you can't put your if you can't emotionally put yourself into Chloe Dextra's shoes and like sort of just try to see it through her eyes, then you're not even really trying to like empathize. Yeah, and you have to empathize. Empathy is like the most, one of the most important human qualities that exists. And I think that it's the biggest human quality that is being destroyed by internet culture. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. People are just so quick to condemn. One of the ways we learn human empathy is by interacting with each other face to face and like, picking up on nonverbal cues and facial expressions, things that are small that our subconscious learns to recognize. And we can't learn that sort of thing, reading comments on YouTube videos Mm -hmm. or reading tweets. We can't get that, you know, um, we just can't, uh, that's not how we're wired as human beings. So, you know, we are losing the ability to empathize with one another, especially as we become more and more solitary and we form these online communities, but you know, they're all just projections of ourselves to each other. You know, like we're all sort of solipsistic in that way that we're the only person that, that exists on the internet and everyone else is sort of just a phantom. Yeah, and the people you're interacting with are like they're a profile picture. They're like they're the picture an, they chose egg. to put up. They're the name that they chose to put up. Like I go under Alex Big Small. Like that's not my middle name. There's a. Uh, <laughs> it's just because a lot of people default, know me by Bigs. There's a default avatar that you get on Twitter when you don't. Um, the egg. And it's an egg. And if you don't put a profile picture up and just stay as an egg, there are people on Twitter that will think less of you and just not even treat you as human and be like, well, you're just a stupid egg. Go fuck off egg. Just because you're, you didn't choose a profile picture, you know, like what a, what a weird thing to then like disregard a person's entire wealth of experience and, and input just for such an arbitrary just reason. Yeah. Yeah. The internet's, it's weird how impersonal it can become at times. 
uh, and it's weird because like Facebook, for example, has the ability to bring people together too. Like I've I've been yeah I do events it's a double edged sword. I do sure. events from time to time that's just like because somebody invites me and it's like oh and then I go and hang out socially. So it's got that aspect too. But it's like it's a tool, I guess. Like it's weird because we're talking about like a way more general thing now but yeah um, well and here's alex over here the facebook apologist no i'm not a facebook <laughs> apologist at all I'm, just I, I'm talking about the internet in general is <laughs> it's a tool it's not it's not good or they evil. don't it's, need you to just, defend them they're a big multi-billion no, dollar they, they really don't <laughs> and they're doing just fine i'm sure but uh it's it's a tool and you can use it yeah. for good and you can use it for evil and yeah, you can for use sure. it for somewhere in between too. And there are so many people that want to use it for evil. It's just so easy to use for evil. Yeah, it's. Uh, How about some good? What's good? Uh, so I I watched the first three episodes of Castle Rock. Did you get through all three? I did. So what did you think? I love what they're doing with Stephen King uh, lore. It's funny because it all together. we were talking about Stephen King and we were just making fun of, um, just making fun of, uh, all the Stephen King stuff that was coming up and just like, do you have to remake everything and all of this, you know, and like making fun of it. And we're like, so in on this show, I think but yeah, we're in on this show because it's like, they made a very specific choice that I think makes this show so good, which is everything that happened in these Stephen King books that they have. And I didn't realize it, but it's like they have almost everything that Stephen King did. Everything that Stephen King has written that takes place in Castle Rock. So that's what I thought. It turns out they have more. It turns out they have even more. I was reading well, maybe today. they, yeah. But I mean, we're guaranteed all of the Castle Rock yes. stuff. We're guaranteed Firestarter. We're guaranteed um, Cujo. Definitely mm-hmm. Cujo. Yeah. Shawshank Redemption is canon in this series, and that's that's the decision that, that they movie made. That I is think is part of this. Like they could bring Tim Robbins in as an old ass. What you would call him? Oh, Whatever his be, name was, I think he would have Dufresne. to be dead by now. Because like, don't they escape in like the? He could be I feel like, like they escape like, in like the 50s He could be like a hundred, dude. They <laughs> they could make like they could so put old. Tim Robbins in old age makeup and have him be on this show as a hundred year old Andy Dufresne. But that could be a thing that happens. <clears> I'm just saying, they could use time travel, make him. But here's here's the decision they made that I'm really down with is that all the stuff that happened in the books is canon like that's all stuff that's already happened they're not they're not like retelling these (laughs) stories they're like taking the world that these stories have fleshed out and they're making a new like new stories out of them and i fucking love that walking oh he's way too old are you talking about uh um the dead zone yes they could use Anthony Michael Hall from the TV or was it TNT <laughs> Dead Zone series? That's actually not that bad. Never saw it. Or was it USA? It might have been a USA show. Was, I read the book when I was a kid, which and was then, good. Uh, and then I watched the Christopher Walken movie, which is also good. Yeah, I never saw the show. Show is. Uh, I saw the Saturday Night Live sketch with Christopher Walken, <laughs> trivial <where> he, psychic. <laughs> yeah. You're going to leave your cup of coffee in the taxi. There's still time. You can still remember your coffee. 
I can't do a Walken impersonation. No. It's the hardest impersonation I've, of all. I can do the one word Christopher Walken impression. Ask me any question. Uh, how, what's the weather like? No. <laughs> That's all I can do. I can say no. Hey. <laughs> no. No, I've heard Jay Moore talk about it. The, he said the trick is to take a vowel and then, like, add another vowel to the end of it. Okay. So, like, if it ends in a vowel, like, no, you, like, add an ah to it. Like, no. <laughs> like, you just have to, like, double pronounce it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's like uh, I watched a great video breakdown where a guy that does Porky Pig, like, slowed down how he does the stutter. Uh-huh. And it's like this series of you take certain syllables and you add just like a abo beba and so he does it all slow and then you hear him do it really fast and i can't freaking do it it's like so crazy but uh bibbity yeah sounds like bibbity <laughs> bibbity 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 yeah i can't i can't do porky pig no it's crazy like and then when he does because like yeah he does it all slow and you're like oh yeah that seems obvious and then he does it fast and you're just like tripping over yourself trying to do it it's dude like, voice actors are like crazy good sometimes i heard uh one of the guys from futurama heard like one of the writers talking about i think it was david x cohen uh, one of the creators actually who is talking about how like the voice actors he's like look here's the thing about the voice actors because people are always like i could be a voice in this thing but he says like one of them can do two voices simultaneously by like doing this thing with their belly and like they can do so much crazy stuff with their voice like, well, like the people who get so much there's work two, that honest to be honest there's two kinds of voice actors there's the ones who are just paid and they go in there and kind of do it there's and the people there's the guys that can who do make their living doing a, it no there's the people that can do a billion voices and then there's the people that have such a specific unique voice that that's the voice people want. Yeah. Like you got your John Benjamin, uh, Joe DiMaggio on Futurama is a good example. Bender, like, yeah, like everything it's a you variation. It's all a very kind of a variation. You hear him on, it's the same. Yeah. You can you can pick out when that he's voice the dog on uh, Adventure Time. You can hear. Yes, you can always hear. Jake. And even even his version of the Joker in Under the Red Hood uh-huh. sounds a little bit like Bender occasionally. Yeah, he can't but, help uh, but be he his can't voice. help it. But yeah. then you've got. Um, What's the other one? The big one. He plays uh, Samson in Venture Brothers, and he's Joe. Oh, oh, um, um, he's Putty in Seinfeld. That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll come up with it. What were you gonna say about him? Uh, he's another one where that's the voice he uses. It's his voice. It, he doesn't ever do like a woman's voice or a, a, a light voice or a soft voice. He's always it's always his voice. And then as far as women go. Kristen Shaw always sounds like Kristen Shaw. But the thing is, is like her voice, like the voice of Mabel on Gravity Falls or the voice of Louise on Bob's Burgers, right? Mm -hmm. She's not strained. That's her natural voice. Right. So she's not like, that's not a, that doesn't strain her voice like to Yardley do Like Smith who does one voice in The Simpsons, which is Lisa Simpson. She sounds like Lisa yeah, Simpson. Yeah, she just sounds like Lisa <laughs> she Simpson. She just always does. Freaking, uh. Bobcat Goldthwait. 
He sounds like Bobcat Goldthwait. He doesn't sound like nobody else. Although, but he doesn't do that. Yeah, thing he's, all the time. he's he's actually like yeah, definitely. He hasn't done that for like. He's pulled away years. from it. Yeah, yeah, he's pulled far. Like, could you imagine him doing that? Because he's a director most of the time nowadays. Could you imagine him doing that like a as a director? Now. No, no. You he's got to talk like a normal. <laughs> that was really, was really funny when I was watching these old Larry Sanders shows. They have Bobcat Goldwave on quite a bit. And uh it's like it's he'll sit there and talk and it'll be really calm and they'll be like he'll be like super crazy when he's doing the interview. He's like, Okay, I wanna take it down to like a seven. He's like, I was doing a seven, like really quietly. <laughs> And then he goes back into I feel like that was the first crack. So when you see him start <laughs> yeah. to try and let people know, like, I'm not really like this. This is just a character, you know. But, um. So Castle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> tangents. Oh, tangents. Castle Rock. Uh, like, right from the get-go, there were references to the previous works. Like, uh, there's a this fucking guy kills himself. And the song playing on the radio is the same opera of the two women singing that Andy Dufresne puts on the PA system when he breaks into the, or when he's left alone in the office at the the prison, the Shawshank prison, which is a major set piece of the show so far, by the way. So also the, uh, the cuts go deep on this. Oh yeah. Deep. And I was reading some Easter egg stuff on this. And so, one of the things that they also did in that exact same moment was they have the call station. Like they, they say, Oh no, really? Yeah. And it's, it is a station that Stephen King owns in Maine. Like he's a co-owner of (laughs) Of the station. Of course it is. So it's like, they even went that far to like, to do this. Like, but yeah, they have a, a clipping. He's, um, there's a lawyer who's brought in. And he's going through clippings, and there's like a, a an article on Cujo, you know, like Cujo attacking a bunch of people. Um, there is a there's a character in there, Alan Pangborn, who's played by Scott Glenn, um, who does it great. But Alan Pangborn is the sheriff in the Dark Half and Needful Things, and he's in the short story called The Sun Dogs, uh, which is I think it's in Four Past Midnight, but. Like, so it's like, it is a character who's like very much known in Stephen King's like Castle Rock stories. And they have him, but he's old and retired. Like, so another he's not funny a sheriff thing. anymore. Two of the actors, I by the way, that I Skarsgård? saw in the. Skarsgård. Oh, you can't, I've decided you can't do a Stephen King a- adaptation without a Skarsgård now. Because there's like, what, <laughs> five Skarsgårds, right? And this is the same Skarsgård that played seven. Pennywise. Yeah. Like he played Pennywise, which Pennywise could make an appearance in this show too, because yeah. you never know. But uh, he's canon. They're all canon. <laughs> um, but okay, so uh, two of the actors on this show were also on that um, Spike show, The Mist, which happens to be. Stephen King adaptation. Right. Yeah. Great. But, great uh, short story. The the movie was also good. I liked the movie with Thomas Jane. The show I enjoyed aspects of, but there were certain parts that were somewhat unforgivable as far as the writing goes. They were just they they had a sexual assault subplot that was really cringe, just gross. Remind and me. Unpleasant. Um, 
the main character's daughter was raped at a party the night before the mist. Oh, you're up. talking about the mist. I'm okay. talking about the mist. About this, this, like, this is the mist, this the show okay, gotcha. that was on Spike. But there was a woman on the show, an older woman, whose husband gets killed randomly at the beginning of the series by a guy that has lost his mind to the mist and just comes they're walking home in the mist and they don't know that there's anything sinister about it and then this random dude just comes up out of nowhere and he's just like you're monsters and he like shoots the husband and kills him and so she kind of snaps and then eventually she sort of turns into this weird like uh priestess that like worships the mist and it's like the mist is culling the human race and we're all just gonna have these things happen to us and what happens happens and it's going to be great. And she like leads this whole congregation of people away from this priest because they're using this church as shelter. And when she shows up as the, the warden's uh, wife, that she's blind. She's the blind wife. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was and in six feet under. As soon as I and saw she was in her, uh, uh, American horror story. She a couple seasons. plays. She, I as soon as I saw her on screen, I thought to myself, she's going to die or her husband's going to die and she's going to go yeah, crazy she, yeah, she because always... that's what she does these Dude, days have, on television. Have you ever seen... She dies or she goes crazy. You haven't seen and Six that's Feet exactly Under, what right? happened. I've seen parts of it. Okay, like that's what she became famous for, and she plays the widow whose husband dies in the first episode. <laughs> She's great, yeah. yeah. That's what she plays. She's fantastic. And uh, then there's another character that is... Uh, is she the one that you said was the supposed that could be traced as a descendant of the Torrance family? Yeah, uh, the, She's the, the one, one who has all the voices that she can't block out and takes pills the for. The one it. that did the thing with the... Yes. Thing? Yes. Oh we don't want to give stuff away. We're not going to spoil this. We're not. Gonna There's spoil three it. episodes that all dropped at once. And I will say, Hulu. it's not. It's not a quick pace. It's. No. It's not a slow pace, but it's not a quick pace. But like they unspool the story and they do it masterfully. I think Th- this is. They're letting you know who the characters are as they're unspooling it, and they're not giving away everything all the time. Well, and this is like the structure of an episode. Is like episode starts you see a weird thing happen with no context then you see another weird thing happen with no context and then, then you kind of meet a character start to tie them together then you meet a character and you start to learn about who that character is and then you start then they start to meet other characters and the plot starts to advance but like they love doing that thing where they just show you a thing yeah. And they're like, this is going to matter later, but we're not going to give you any hints as to why it matters now, because we're, it's just something that's happening and you need to know about it for future reference. But here's a weird thing that's probably going to be creepy. Like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, it's a real engaging show. If you're willing for the somewhat slower burn, it'll definitely kind of pull you in and sort of especially if you're a stephen king fan if you're a stephen king fan definitely check it, this it's out gonna this be great. will if scratch not, the stephen king edge. yes but if you're not a stephen king fan i think you can still enjoy this and hang with it because it is good storytelling and it it is you don't have to know anything about castle rock to enjoy this show and if you hate jj abrams 
who is a co-producer of the show. He's just a producer. Just remember that there is no lens flare on this show. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> He's learned his lesson. He got all his lens flares out of his system. No, I, I heard, Star I heard War, an Star interview Trek. he did. Um, I actually was with that guy from the Goldbergs and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh remember his name but he he did he did this podcast and he had jj abrams on the show and he was kind of giving him shit about the lens flare for a second and he goes you know i saw a super cut of somebody sent me a super cut on youtube of all my lens flares and he's like i didn't realize that i was doing it over and over again so i've like i'm not doing it anymore like he's just not doing lens flares anymore so if you watch if you watch like his latest stuff he's not doing all right what what's going on here (laughs) so check this shit out um scott glenn right he's in this show alan pangborn he plays sheriff alan pangborn who has been in two stephen king novels he was in the dark half yes and he was a needful thing right and he's in the short story so that means that if this is that character from those books this guy has seen some shit. Yes, and we, yeah. Dude, whoa, needful things. Dude. Needful things alone. <sighs> yeah, I love shit, needful dude. things. Yeah, me too. I, I love the, the book, book and I yeah. love the movie. The like, movie is condensed, well, but it's good. The movie's what uh, isn't Vincent Price the freaking needful things no, guy? No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's uh, the guy who's in all the Angar. Uh, uh, Max von Sydow. Yeah, Max von Sydow. Yeah. yeah, he was the devil. Oh, I love Max von Sydow. He's a really good devil. Yeah, he is very good. charming. Leland Gaunt. That is some good shit right there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and the the movie's good, but the book is freaking so yeah. much better. Just an entire town. Nothing gets a movie. You had to condense it down yeah. to make oh, it a you movie. Did. But that there's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor, I'm sure. Every Stephen King movie would have made a better miniseries. <laughs> If it got the same budget, so you know, because Langoliers is god awful. You know what doesn't? Uh, I always like to point this out because we and talked about it earlier. But the Shawshank Redemption is actually better as a movie. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, who like directed it's, it's the, the uh, It is. It was the guy who started The Walking Dead, and he did the movie version of The Mist. It's a uh, Frank Darabont was the director, and uh, that movie is fantastic. Like, yeah, it's one of my all time wow. favorite movies. It was for sure. All time was number one on IMDb for a long time. I don't know if it still is, but it it always seems like it's in the top five for sure. Green Moon. But yeah, uh, uh, anything else you want to bring up about Castle dude, Rock? Frank or? Darabont has made his career off of Stephen King, dude. That yeah. guy. How many people has Stephen King straight up just propped up and turned into made into billionaires, dude? Yeah. God damn. A lot. <laughs> when you've write, written as many bestsellers as he has. And I, dude, I went through a major Stephen King phase from Me like too. age 10 to like oh, yeah. 17, I, read I would so say. Much. I read easily 40 of his books, at least. <laughs> like so many books. I haven't read any for a long time, but. And all his. Uh, other than it, I read the, the novel of I it. I still prefer his short stories to his novels. Badge, ruining the podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> I prefer his short stories to his novels because they seem to have the same amount of content and which makes the the novels feel like they're kind of fluff. 
Well, Skeleton fluff. Crew had so many movies off of it, too. I mean, um, the one that comes to mind right away because we we're talking about was The Mist. But there's just like, there's so many good short stories in there. There's one that I particularly love called Survivor Type that's in Skeleton Crew. Where it's about this surgeon who's on a island. Island, yeah. Lady you fingers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's give, one of my favorite. Yeah. Can short I give stories? context for that? No. Okay. Yeah. Read it. <laughs> Read it's it. Like it's only like fifteen <laughs> it's, pages. So it's all first. It's all first person. It's like written as journal entries. <laughs> yeah. As he's trapped on the island. And it starts out as like. May 3rd, May 5th, May 7th. Pretty soon it's like, it just it's like goes May 32nd. It's rails. like May with question marks. Now <laughs> that would make, has that been adapted? Not that I know now, of. Now that but... would make a good fucking short film, man. That needs to be adapted into a you short You could film. make, I think you could make that into a whole movie. You could flesh it out, I think, and make that But why would you want to? I mean, I think it would suffer from being fleshed out i think it works better as a tight little compact thing that you just sort of see this guy well look i love that it story, almost so works better wanna... though as a thing you read and not as an adaptation like it works good as a reading these like you yeah, don't see true. it happen in front of you you just are what like you're, it's at the end when he's so insane right the whole yeah it's the whole just, it, the journey is all in his mind because it's just him putting the his thoughts down on paper and i remember uh stephen king he will often write uh afterwards where he'll talk about how he wrote the stories and the way he got the idea for that was he was talking to a doctor about and I think he uses the quote for the start of the story about like how much pain a patient can handle. And uh, he's like, well, the question is like, what is their tolerance for pain or something like that? Cause like basically anybody can handle, depends on the person, how much they can take. But he mentioned that like that doctor was always weary of him when he would like come home and Stephen King would rush up to him to ask him questions for his books because like one time he asked him if if it was possible to fit an entire cat in a human mouth. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I think that that story would work as an adaptation into like a audio only format. It would work, like reading journal entries. Or just like him recording into a tape recorder mm -hmm. or an audio recorder of some kind. He, yeah. That's what he's got. He's got his smartphone, you right. know, and he doesn't have any service, but he's still recording his thoughts onto the recorder of the phone. And so it's just like audio entries. That would work, I think. And I think that story, if I'm to delve into the man who wrote it, probably had a lot to do with his cocaine addiction. <laughs> Every story he wrote. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Misery. I didn't know this until oh, I God, read this misery. later, but Misery was like, it was an allegory for his cocaine use. Like Annie Wilkes was his cocaine yeah. use. <laughs> and uh, that's like, when you start to think about it that way, you're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I never would have seen it that way if I hadn't read that. But yeah. When you read that, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. It's always interesting, the little kernels that they pull out. That's what I love about this show is, like, they're looking at, like, Stephen King tropes and, like, they're really paying attention to the characters that they do put in. Like, Alan Pangborn, you get the you get the hint when you're watching it that there's a, there's a, the main character, Alan, 
uh, Dearborn, is that his name? Something like that. Um, or what? What's the main guy's name? It's like Henry Deaver. Yeah, Henry Deaver. That's right. But um, you you get the point, like the the hint that Alan Pangborn is not giving him everything that he knows when he's asking about certain things, and he knows stuff. But then you get enough where you realize, like Alan Pangborn knows way more about what's going on. But he's also looking out for the best for the town in the end, too. And I really dig that because that is very much a Stephen King thing. Like, they're really smart about how they structure it to make it feel like a Stephen King book. And I guess, like, having just read so much Stephen King, it it makes sense. Is there any other writer you could do something like this with? Like, I don't think there is. That, like, so many people have so many touchstones to it that, like, so many different people can just jump into the show and like get references or like get a style from it. I don't think any other writer is as prolific or as um, universally sort of like praised or in, you know, inspiring, inspired by than him. Um, Michael Crichton is a distant second. It almost feels like as far as how many adaptations of his books have been made. Yeah. And he's had some giant things, but, and his, but his books don't all take place in the same place and they don't have any sort of threads because there, he was more like, what technology am I currently interested in? Yes. Let's write a book about that. Yeah, and he very Stephen much King's is about that. stories are a lot more personal and uh, and linked to each other because they're all kind of about him. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know who? Okay, it's weird. It would be really weird and awkward and horrible. But uh, I think the only other person that I could do that with is Chuck Palahniuk because his. But he doesn't have nearly the body of work no it's it's not it's growing but i mean it's not big enough but it would be i i kind of feel like everything that chuck palanick writes takes place in a twisted horrible shared universe yeah just everything is he just hasn't made the connections yet (laughs) and survivor and invisible monsters and lullaby all take place in the same horrible world and fight club it's all just a nightmare world <laughs> dude all those books are great though but they're fucked up man yeah yeah chuck Birds ate my face i Invisible like monsters. i like his stuff but his stuff is real hard to read dude, he's also like, a diminishing like... he's a diminishing returns guy his first book is still his best and it's been downhill from there like his first book was Invisible Monsters. That is easily his best book, without a doubt. It's so good. And then Survivor. And Survivor is amazing as well, but it's not quite as good. And then you got Fight Club, and it's a little bit worse. And then you get Choke, and it's a little but bit worse. I will say Fight Club a little bit worse. turned out to be the best movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like but an all-time great best, movie. It's had the best... Um, yeah, David Fincher like, yeah, working on David it. Fincher that goes a is long the reason way. why that when you movie get like so a good. great story with like a great director like that. But the cast is kind of solid. I mean, you got yeah. Brad Pitt at his in his prime, Edward Norton in his prime, Jared Leto before he's mailing condoms to people. Jared Leto <laughs> before anybody knew before he was anything more than just a pretty face. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter in her like, prime totally work. Meatloaf with man tits. Oh, what a brilliant movie. 
that even that guy that is like the guy that he beats himself up in front of his yeah, boss. Yeah. That guy is like uh he's bosses all the time. Yeah, he's he's great though. He's uh he's the lackey in Wayne's world. He is the lackey in yeah, Wayne's world. Yeah, he's he's the main villain in a podcast I did about this movie a little while ago for uh movies with wrestlers, which is uh No Holds Barred, which is an awful movie <laughs> but it's awful in like the best ways who's the so wrestler in that one hulk hogan oh it's hogan Ooh, so it's it was real hulk old. hogan's first movie and like this was so before terrible. he was a family friendly comedy guy oh uh was he doing trying to do a schwarzenegger thing a they little bit? i mean like this was where they were like yeah let's get you a movie career brother let's make you and, a jean-claude van damme yeah but like the, sound the problem no is that Vince McMahon made like, it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's totally the wrestling sensibility in the movie, and it really doesn't work for the movie, but it's so hilarious how bad it is. But he plays a suit in it who's just like the most evil guy ever, and like puts Hulk Hogan's brother in a wheelchair because Hulk Hogan won't like appear on his program, and just like stuff like that. Like it's it's terrible, dude. But yeah, that actor, he, he often plays a suit and he plays that suit because he's like, he's this guy that when you look at him, he's big, but he's also like, there's something about him that feels neutered. And so he's like the perfect guy to put in that position. Like Fight Club, he's perfect for that because like he's the big boss, but at the same time, he ain't saying shit. You know what I mean? Like, he'll start to say something, and then he realizes the crazy fuck he's dealing with and immediately backs off. Um, and you feel a little bit of sympathy for him. Wayne's World, he does the heel turn because he realizes that Rob Lowe is evil, I guess. <laughs> so we've also got Anne Cusack on the show. She's like the new pr- warden that comes in for Shawshank. I didn't even know that there was another Cusack because she's clearly related to John and Jane. Yeah, she definitely is looks she like her. No, I don't think sister? she's a warden. Isn't she the psychic lady? No, she's, she's oh, is the she? warden of the... Oh, okay. She's the yeah, warden she does of... look like a Cusack. Yeah, she looks like, like John. In retrospect, she's clearly I mean, not in a, a bad Cusack. way, but she's got John's eyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's a sister. She's one of the sisters. She does a great job in that. Yeah, she's good too. Very corporate. Because it's a private prison too. Yeah, private they, they privatize Shawshank. So this this is another thing I like about this show is that they're talking things. about they're talking about social issues in the show, but they're doing it in a way that like naturally unfolds in the story. Uh I really fucking dig it. But let's let's move on. Okay. Um so into the Spider-Verse, the, the cartoon Miles Morales movie that's going to hit theaters here yeah. soon. So around Comic-Con, they announced two major voice casts that they got. So for people not familiar with Into the Spider-Verse, I'll just, I, I feel like I've explained it a couple of times, but basically it's like every version of Spider-Man collides. And uh, like in the comic book, it is every version of Spider-Man. Like I, the ones I thought would never see time in Marvel again saw it. And two of them were casted. The first one, Nick Cage is playing the noir Spider-Man. Ooh. And that that's going to be fun. That's my favorite. Okay. Right there. It, it's, you're, it's about to get topped. Okay. 
Guess who's playing Spider-Ham? Are you familiar with Spider-Ham? I am familiar with Spider-Ham. Sp- Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. It yeah. was it was a, a comic book when I was a kid. And basically they were they made all all of the Marvel characters animals and just kind of made fun of like comic book tropes yeah. with it. Uh so John Mulaney is playing Spider-Ham. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Eli told John me that. That Mulaney. was exactly what I said too. That is perfect. Aww. I love John Mulaney. So did that just become your favorite? No, I still prefer Nick Cage uh, because he's just ridiculous. He's a maniac. He's got... I love John Mulaney, but he really has been around a fraction of the time. Yeah. Nicolas Cage is a legend. (laughs) John Mulaney has yet to reach legend status. Yeah, but he's I just, on his way. I just thought it was because like, you're such a John Mulaney fan. I oh, was sure. Oh, hello was a good first step towards legend status for John Mulaney. But like Nick Cage, man, he's done so fucking, fucking con air and fucking every weird ass time travel thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Can... Leaving Las Vegas, dude, the when he won the Oscar. One. Adaptation? What's Yeah, where he's twins? Yeah. Oh, he was so good. In... I love that movie. But I'm a big Andy Kaufman fan. Me too. Um, uh, Charlie fucking Kaufman. What's Charlie Kaufman, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm also an Andy Kaufman. I'm not as much. I like Charlie Kaufman more than Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Um, I liked Man on the Moon. What's the one where he's? Uh, <laughs> what's the one where he's a vampire or thinks he's a vampire? Oh, All, twice? No, uh, once bitten or something. That's Jim Carrey. Oh yeah, that's the Jim Carrey one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I forget. But he was he, definitely a vampire at some point, though. The Bees, his <laughs> remake of be? Wicker Man, and freaking The Rock. <laughs> How did I get this far into it and not say The Rock? Face off. Come on, man. Nicolas Cage is the it's best. So crazy. Uh, he's in one of the funniest Coen Brothers movies. Raising Arizona is a good movie. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but it's still pretty damn funny. Yeah. Like, he's we... really good in it. Well, speaking, since, since you brought it up. Oh, yeah. Tell me about this. There's a new, what's so, the next Coen Brothers? So the Coen Brothers had announced that they were going to do a Netflix miniseries called The Ballad of Buster uh, Scruggs. Uh, turns out it's no longer going to be a Netflix series. It's a movie that they're going to drop to Netflix. But before they do that, they're going to try and get it submitted to the Oscars. So in, in order to do that, they're dropping it at the Venice Film Festival so that it can qualify. Um, so it's a movie now? It wasn't? It was started out as a miniseries. It wound up being a movie. And it's okay. going to be six different tales, I think. We're not, it's a little sketchy on that, but they, they put out an announcement, and I love this. So this is the Coen brothers putting out this announcement. We've always loved anthology movies, especially those made in Italy in the 60s, which set side-by-side side the work of different directors on a common theme. Having written an anthology, Western Stories, we attempted to do the same, hoping to enlist the best directors working today. It was our great fortune that they both agreed to participate. <laughs> They're talking about themselves. Yeah. That is wonderful. They're so arrogant. That's hilarious. Anyway, uh, two of the actors, I, there was a couple actors I listed. The only ones I knew were uh, Liam Neeson and Tom Waits are going to be in this. So. <gasps> Tom Waits. I knew you'd be excited. I love Tom Waits. I'm one of those. Thanks, man. Yeah. 
that's the advantage of podcasting outdoors by the way yeah the disadvantage is barking dogs <laughs> yeah i'll take some barking dogs i mean mira had some valid points about what a big douchebag mike cernovich is so. <laughs> there you go <laughs> but yeah i'm, I'm excited because this coen brothers thing is going to drop netflix and i read somebody who's really upset that it's not going to be on blu-ray and they were talking about special features but i'm like dude what like Coen Brothers never do shit. What you for want their... a blooper reel? Go fuck yourself. Well, they never do anything for the special. Watch features. the credits of Anchorman again. Yeah, you know? it's Get it's like like they don't do interviews. They don't do commentaries. Like Coen Brothers are really hard to get thoughts on their movies, and when they do give thoughts, they're usually fucking around, and you can't tell like what they're serious about, what they're not. Like I heard them saying, I don't know if it's true or not, but they said it. Um, after they did Fargo, like Steve Buscemi got chopped up by the the chipper, so they decided for Big Lebowski, like how do they top it? They like grind him in ash, you know, <laughs> and have him get blown up. Is that true? Who fucking knows, yeah, dude? That could, could be, be them fucking around, or it could be how they think. I don't know. I'm well, not gonna pretend like, like I know how they think at this point. Occasionally, I think that some of the best work starts in some of the weirdest places like uh i wrote a short story once that i lost i'd just written it in a book you know i didn't have any other copies and then i lost the notebook and so it's gone but it wound up being about 20 pages long and it was this elaborate crazy story about a guy who uh would write stories and the characters he would write would come to life and uh, as it goes along, it turns out that like there's these two cop characters that are investigating him because he's also a junkie and uh, he's usually half out of his mind when he's writing. So he doesn't even realize that the people he's encountering in his life are all characters he's written. And it turns out at the end that like most of the world is <laughs> populated by figments of his imagination and at one point they all become aware that they're figments and it just gets really bizarre but that whole story started out with the sentence there once was a woman who dug a hole for no reason you know and it's like that meant abs that meant nothing more than any it meant nothing it was literally a statement that meant nothing and i i like wrote it down I had the thought and I wrote it down and then I was like, what could that mean? And it turned into this whole other crazy thing that I never, I have no idea why it, I made that jump. Yeah. May have been, yeah, who knows what it was. Well, we were talking, I think yesterday about stepbrothers and uh, I was just reading this oral history on the ringer about stepbrothers because it's like the 10th anniversary of the movie. And that movie happened because Adam McKay wanted to do another movie with Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley because they'd done Talladega Nights together. And so the only the only idea that they had was whatever movie they did, there should be bunk beds that collapsed on each other. They just thought that was the funniest idea. And so like that entire movie just like what? happened because of that one thought. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. why are they in bunk beds? Like what? Like, what has to happen to make this happen, you know? So there's, like, I'm there's a f design philosophy 
that's like you can design from the top down or you can design from the bottom up. And I think designing from the top down is like how Michael Bay makes movies, mm-hmm. right? Where he's like, Transformers, okay, action, space. Uh, we'll put five action scenes in and they'll be this long. And so this is, then we'll need to connect them to each other, you know? And then he just like, he builds an action movie. And then when you build from the bottom up, you're like, taking a single idea and then being like so is this idea a horror idea or is this a science fiction idea or is this a romantic comedy idea and or you're saying what if this romantic comedy idea was used in a horror movie haha you know or something of that nature and so like i i really respect bottom up uh design process because yeah. it is always more chaotic and takes you in more unexpected directions well you and i have talked it's less paint by numbers you and i have talked quite a bit about like terry gilliam and the movie brazil which i think Mm. is my i don't know if it's my favorite terry gilliam but it's it's up there and uh it all started because he liked the song brazil and so he was just like i'm gonna make a movie where it's brazil plays the entire movie and he just finds like you know, like 30 different ways to play the song Brazil during the movie, but it's constantly playing. It's playing throughout the entire movie. And that entire movie was designed around that song, which is crazy because if you know the movie Brazil, as crazy as that movie is, like it definitely has a point of view and is like get it, like pushing it in your face. It, but that has nothing to do with the song Brazil. <laughs> it's like he started with that people and somehow worked into this love big working thing. With, people are so desperate to work with that guy that they will work for free yeah. to be directed by him. Robin Williams. Oh, The Fisher King is fantastic. Um, I love that And movie. he was also in Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. And I think he did that. Uh, I know that... Uh, Time Bandits, uh, Sean Connery was in that movie for mm-hmm. basically nothing. Um, most recently in his second to last movie, The Zero Theorem, uh, with Christoph Waltz, Matt Damon was paid scale. And that movie came in like, you know, millions of dollars, a little smaller budget just for that. <laughs> It's normally that name costs a pretty penny to get. I'm noticing that's that's <laughs> been a trend the last like 10, 15 years in general too. Because as tentpole movies are becoming bigger, you have these actors that do these tentpole movies, and that's how they make like their nut. But then they'll go and work for almost nothing to do like independent movies that they're interested in. Yeah, um, that's good. That's a sign to me. That's a sign of a director that's worth like taking into consideration Mm -hmm. that's why i'm willing to watch a a matt damon movie because i know that guy fucking he gives it his all man he throws himself into it yeah he doesn't fucking fuck around rounders is still i love that (laughs) movie i love rounders dude (laughs) i was just telling my boss uh her her uh her teenage daughter just moved back in with her and i was like and she's a bad roommate, right? Her daughter is a bad roommate. Uh-huh. We'll leave it at that. But uh, I was telling her, like, you're Matt Damon in Rounders, and your daughter is Edward Norton in Rounders. <laughs> oh, no, worm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you 
<laughs> you gotta you gotta straighten that shit out because you don't want to have Edward Norton in Rounders as a daughter. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> Eventually, she's gonna bring around a John Malkovich. Eventually, you, Teddy KGB oh, is gonna fuck be me. No, fuck you. <laughs> that is the worst Russian accent I've ever. Heard. Yeah, but it's John Malkovich doing a Russian al- accent. So of course, it's that bad. man is money. <laughs> <laughs> he does a terrible Russian accent. He really does. <laughs> I love Rounders, man. It's yeah, it's a, a good movie. movie. Yeah, it's like it, back in that uh, that era of there were a lot of movies coming out around that time where it was like uh, this guy that was like super good at this hustly kind of sport kind of thing game. There was another one that was on uh, one of my favorite HBO original movies from the 90s called Pool Hall Junkies. That's got like this actual professional pool players, the main character, but like uh, Joe Mantegna's in it. Is yeah, like yeah, yeah. his mentor that screws him over and then he quits the game, stops being a hustler. And he's like in construction. Then he gets pulled back into the game, you know? And yeah. that's what it's always about. Like, <laughs> I got out. I was the best and I got out and tried to leave a straight life. Yeah. And then they pulled me back yeah. in. Yeah, the 90s. Oh, cocktails. The 90s is all about let's do Godfather 2 and 3 and like yeah. some other four. <laughs> with, and then they were like parodying it with ping, uh, with table tennis and mm-hmm. that one, Balls of Fury. Yeah, yeah. It was totally with Jonah parod- Hill. Yeah. That wasn't Jonah Hill, was it? I think it was. No, it was that other guy. Wasn't Jonah Hill in that movie? He might have been in it. Yeah, I know I'm not that, saying uh, he was the main character. I know that, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? He's that great dude from that Drew Carey show that's in all that other good stuff. Oh, um, that's in Dietrich Bader. D- Dietrich Bader, yeah. Bader, yeah, yeah. That guy's great. Yeah, he's amazing. Best Batman ever. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest Batman ever, anyway. <laughs> Which one is he, Batman? Uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold. He has my all-time favorite Batman line, which is uh, he hits this uh, like Dan Fogler is. I, I think Catwoman goes, Batman, you wouldn't hit a woman, would you? And he goes, The fist of justice is asexual. <laughs> there is <laughs> so no Jonah Hill. Stupid. No Jonah Hill. All right, no, it's uh, the guy's name is Dan Fogler. Okay, that plays him. Dan Fogler's also been in uh fan- Oh, he's the Fantastic Beasts uh sidekicky guy. Okay. The baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the baker. Guy yeah, with the wide eyes. He's great. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so I had one other piece of news I wanted to get out here. So um Kelsey He's Marvin Goldberg and the Goldbergs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, and, and every Thanksgiving <laughs> episode. Yeah, he's been once a season. <laughs> He shows up for Thanksgiving. Dude, seriously, if you guys haven't watched the Goldbergs yet, just start. I knew I could get him to tell you to watch the Goldbergs. Yeah, I'd, I've been <laughs> it's a saying great it, show, but I, the only the only people I know who watch it are you and Matt Campbell. And like, I don't think anybody else watches it other than my well, family. Well, why aren't people taking Matt Campbell's word for it? That guy knows his shit. Yeah. Someday me and Matt are going to do a Parks and Rec podcast. Oh, yeah? What are you going to call it? Uh, I don't know. You're going to go something generic? Toss salad like and scrambled and eggs. <laughs> Toss salad and scrambled eggs. That's Matt, Mira, Matt Mira is a writer on the Goldbergs. Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. Dead That's serious. Okay. <laughs> That's how I started watching the Goldbergs. Final was... news piece. Okay. 
So Kelsey Grammer is meeting with writers to uh, that are pitching him reboots for Frasier. It would have Grammer reprising the role, oh, God. and no other co-stars. It would not be set in Seattle. So that's all we know. Uh, no other co-stars. No other co-stars from Frasier. Oh, oh. So it would be a reset. Of no the show, Niles. Probably. No Niles. Would no it, Daphne. But it would still be like and. But it would still be Fraser Crane, so like yes. those characters would still exist. They'd right? still exist, and I'd imagine maybe guest stars, but like they would reset. Maybe not again. Daphne, but oh no, no Daphne Niles, because this would take place. This would pick up where Fraser. I, I would imagine left it off. would take. So place Martin right would be now. gone. Martin's dead. Yeah, you would think he has to be. I mean, isn't the actor dead? Oh yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That that guy's gone. I think we might have talked about it on a podcast, actually. Because he was also in uh, a movie that was uh, I watched a lot when I was a kid. That John Cusack movie where he's holding up the boombox. Say Anything. He's he's like the father in Say Anything who doesn't like John Cusack. John Mahoney. Yeah, Yeah, John Mahoney. That's He actually died this February. Yeah. Yeah. This year. Yeah. That guy was good. He's in Barton Fink. He's in Cheers. But not playing that role. Weird. <laughs> they had to retcon the father character for Cheers, because uh, he played like a piano guy in Cheers, and they really liked him. So it was like in the last season, and so they they worked him into the pilot. But Fraser has an episode where he talks about his father dying, and uh, and then so like they, they address it in the pilot of Fraser. No, maybe it's not the pilot. It's like one where like Woody's in it or something. Like Woody comes to visit, I think. And uh, he's like, oh, did Frazier say anything about me? He's like, yeah, he said you were dead. And he's like, well, we were fighting. <laughs> so actually, you've been watching a lot of Cheers. We should we should broach that for a minute. Is any any recent thoughts on Cheers? How far into it are you? I Coach is gone. So it's like season three... Like four. we're into we're into Woody. Kelsey Grammer is in the opening credits. Yeah. Has um, Lilith entered yet? I haven't seen Lilith yet. Okay. I've I've kind of fallen off a little bit because new TV is coming on that I am yeah. more interested no, in. No, I understand. Um but, Cheers will be there. <laughs> yeah, Cheers isn't going anywhere. Yeah. It's a frustrating show. Carla's still my favorite character. I like Carla better than anybody. She says what I'm thinking most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. Yeah, Carla is fantastic. Just super blunt. I love when she jumps on it, like when she uses her physicality. Like, I love how people are afraid of Carla, even though she's so little. She's the smallest one. Yeah. yeah but she's the scariest one. <laughs> and scary by a lot, too. <laughs> There was an episode uh, where, for some reason, they need somebody to crawl into a vent in the basement, and uh, Diane's the only one that can fit, and then she gets stuck, and there's like a grate in the floor. So you just hear over no, and they, over again, they right? they talk to her through the grate, and like at one point, Sam is telling her she needs to eat to keep her strength up, and he's like feeding her soup. And he's like spilling it on her face on purpose and then cleaning her face off with a towel. And she's, her arms aren't like up here. They're like not, she's totally trapped. And he's just, 
<laughs> messing with her and it's uncomfortable to watch yeah. and I don't like it and then Carla takes money from this old man to kiss her while she's trapped and Sam chases that guy off so it doesn't happen but it's still like so creepy and awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that show but it still makes like it makes me laugh all the time like there are a lot of funny things on that show but I, I, ugh, I some of that, that humor just does not translate no to now. no it's definitely dated but i think the strength of that show is they know who all the characters are and they're willing to like they'll they'll have plots where it's like they'll take like cookie cutter plot but it's like now you're introducing in these different characters that they absolutely understand i think that's why the show works a lot of the time it's because these characters are uh they know their characters they know like what they're gonna do and like they know their slimy points they all have slimy points but they also know like that they all have like soft hearts too like they're they're strongly defined characters i think and that that's why that show works is because they get that the actors get that and they play with it but all right so that was a cheers update <laughs> any chance i get to talk about cheers i'm gonna take it do you have anything else you want to bring up before we close off here so i was thinking of like fun little segments that we could that i could do and uh one thing that i have been thinking about is like properties like book and comic books and stuff properties that um are are ripe properties for adaptation like what series would i like to see from back in the day some weird obscure comic book series or book series would i like to see adapted to a tv show or a movie or something and uh i've got a couple just like that i think about all the time but uh the first one that i'm, I'm only going to talk about one today and the first one that i want to talk about is this comic series called hack slash Okay. Have you ever heard about I've heard Hack about Slash? it. I've never read it. So, Hack Slash is based around this idea that like um all the horror movies are kind of real and not like your Hellraisers and your Aliens and stuff, but like your slasher movies, your Halloweens, your your Friday the 13th, your Nightmare on Elm Streets. Those all take place in a shared world. And the creatures that are slayers are like there's this scientific phenomenon where like enough psychological rage and pain and whatnot will cause um a person to become a slayer and usually they die first and then they come back um but uh this main girl character her mother was like uh, a slayer that was like a lunch lady at her school and was like killing kids and putting them in the food. <laughs> and then they found out and they like lynch mobbed her basically. And then she came back as a slayer. And so this girl had to kill her own mom. And she found this guy named Vlad, who's like this big giant, like 10 foot tall monstrosity that she initially mistook for being one of these slayer monsters, but he's just kind of a, big mutant guy <laughs> he's not a slayer but he's like big and strong like one um and they go around and they tra track down uh slayers and they kill them 
uh, they destroy them and they keep coming back because that's what slayers do. Um, but every now and then there's a tie in with like a classic uh, uh, horror movie. And uh, one of the main recurring characters that's from outside, that's from its own franchise, is the Chucky doll from the Child's okay. Play movies. And he's used really well in the comic because, like, he kind of plays like a. He plays both sides, you know. Uh, he wants to kill her because she's a, he knows what she does and what she is. And he's against that, you know. He wants to keep being a slayer and just being a sadistic little monster. But uh, he also finds himself in these positions where being a doll, you know, he's actually pretty vulnerable to, like, he's kind of weak sometimes, you know. he It's easy. You can just trap him in a box sometimes. Right. And that's all it takes. <laughs> You know, so he makes deals with them sometimes and then he backstabs them and tries to kill him and then they try to kill him. And, you know, but it's just like this. It's a it's a uh, it's one of those comic books that is um, simultaneously a satire, a satirical look at the genre. And it's a love letter and an homage to the genre. So it's that great sort of double edged um sword that's kind of a hard, fine line to walk sometimes where you're skewering the thing but you're doing it like lovingly and uh the guy that writes it does a fantastic job the artwork is very 90s it's very expo- like you know exploitative and like the main character is constantly wearing skimpy outfits right. and being Super positioned she's yeah. sexy as hell you know she's just it's a it's gratuitous i'd say the artwork is so if you don't appreciate that sort of thing or if that turns you off then i don't know if you would like the comic but at the same time if you don't like if that turns you off you probably don't like horror movies to begin with because that is a big part of horror movies anyways um so it's kind of a necessary part um and like what i really like about the the um comic one of the biggest things i like about it is that the original Slayer characters that the author comes up with are super compelling and have interesting backstories all of their own. Like, I feel like every single monster character that he creates in his comic could carry a franchise all of their own. That's they are that good. I, I, and, and because they keep coming back because that's kind of part of their nature is that they are unkillable. Right. So um, there's a lot of times where she freaking kills this guy in a really dramatic fashion. And then like 12, 14 issues later, he, he's fucking back and he may not be like gun- gunning for her. He's just like back somewhere else, just doing his thing. Cause that's just, they're sort of mindless. They want, you know, they, it's, it, the comic talks about it, you know, read the comic. It's great. But if you read the comic, you'll also see what I see. I think in that, man, this is a right, this property would be perfect. Like I could see Joss Whedon really sinking his teeth into hack slash. Like if he takes his, uh, his sensibilities that he, for like, uh, Eli- like Kevin let him team up with like Eliza Deshku again. She'd be great as the main character girl. She would be fantastic. And she'd be willing to wear all those great little outfits. <laughs> Cause that's important. And then we could put like, I don't know who'd played the big blob character, but it could be like, 
I'd love to see like some Ron Perlman type or Terry Crews. <gasps> Terry Crews would be great. Well, he's got Brooklyn Nine Nine right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, thirteen episodes. Yeah, it's a half season. That's nothing. <laughs> and he's on. You know, he has to give ten percent of his what he makes off that sixth season to the um, agency that. Oh, yeah, the, the yeah. Adam Bennett guy works for. That sucks. Yeah. <sighs> well, <laughs> on that we started note. with the downer. Might as well end with the downer. <laughs> yes, it's a horrible, depressing world we live in. <laughs> so take it easy. Thank you for listening to the Not Safer Network. Check out one of our many other shows, Charles Orr Horror Show, Geek Lantern's Light, Movies with Wrestlers, Real Roulette, The Alien Movie Project, Montucky Skies, and We Had a Good Life.